Just a quick note before we get started with today's show, this episode contains frank discussions of suicide and may not be appropriate for all audiences. If you are in crisis, have thoughts of suicide, or just need someone to talk to, dial 988 at any time of day or night to be connected to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. More resources are linked in the description of this episode. If you are at risk for suicide, please take a look at these options. No matter how bad things may feel, you are not alone. Now, here's our show. So I am uh, Kim Mead Walters. I um, am a longtime uh, Barnstable resident. I was um, raised here on Cape. I have just retired after 30 years as a primary care doc to devote my time and energy to sharing kindness. Sharing Kindness is Kim's nonprofit, which she founded with her husband four years ago. Sharing Kindness um, was seeded uh, from the death of my youngest son, Jeremy, um, from suicide. Uh, Jez was um, 16, he was a high school uh, junior. I mean, there are really no words to describe how it feels to lose a child um, to suicide. When Jeremy died, Kim learned quickly that resources for suicide loss survivors on Cape were far from abundant. There was nothing for my um, surviving children or, or for his um, friends and classmates. In the face of this lack of resources, Jeremy's friends and family came together for what would become Sharing Kindness's first Cape and Island Suicide Awareness Walk. It was really a, an act of solidarity and grief. It was meant to offer a safe space for suicide loss survivors like myself and, and his siblings and his friends to gather and uh, to share stories and to learn about resources and to learn about um, trainings. You might think a suicide awareness walk would be a somber event. It was heartwarming and we have developed just a really wonderful community around that walk and we've now had five of them. Four years later, Sharing Kindness's Suicide Awareness Walk has become the resource that Kim had once wished for. What's happened since um, is that the walk has grown. We now um, hold it in Hyannis, um, just down the street from the ferries, so that we can include folks from the islands easily. And um, this past May, our most recent walk, we had more than 400 registered walkers, and um, it was just a really warm, supportive, safe event. Suicide awareness is important to Kim, her community, and many other advocates, doctors, mental health professionals, families, teachers, and more across the Cape. In fact, experts say that talking about suicide is in itself a form of suicide prevention. So today, that's what we're here to do. You're listening to The Upper Cape Catch by The Enterprise, where we bring you audio stories on the latest news from Falmouth, Mashpee, Bourne, and Sandwich. I'm Gilda Geist, and today's episode is about suicide, suicide prevention, and mental health. We at The Upper Cape Catch came up with this idea for this episode after one of the Enterprise reporters covered the summer's fourth suicide attempt and second death by suicide at the Sagamore Bridge in Bourne. The report was that around six-ish in the morning, um, someone who was fishing observed what they thought was someone preparing to and then jumping off of the Sagamore Bridge. Police were called, it was a very large police presence. 
um, at which point they realized that someone had jumped and were searching the water with the Coast Guard and um, the Massachusetts Environmental Police for several hours. That was Ryan Davis, the Sandwich Enterprise reporter who covered this story. I spoke with a uh, Massachusetts Environmental Police uh, officer who was on the scene, and he had said that it was it's very rare that this happens. The, the bridge has pretty substantial uh, fencing on the sides. It's more than usual currently that's happened, so that's why he was surprised. It's more than usual the police told you that? The environmental police officer, yeah. So I granted they only get involved um, with the canal and the waterways specifically, mm -hmm. um, but he had said that in, Suicide attempts involving the canal are quite rare. This is unusual, and it's, there have been more attempts than usual, according to him. The environmental police officer Ryan spoke to is far from the only one who has noticed a trend. Born Police Chief Brandon Isip put out a statement on September 9th that struck many readers with its honesty. One of the people struck by this statement was our Born reporter, Michael Rausch. Mike covered another death by suicide that took place at the bridge back in July. That he put out that statement does not surprise me in the least. That 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 is just his uh, his makeup. Um, that, uh, that that again he would uh, he would reach out, um, offer assistance through the police department, or offer ways other than contacting the police um, to uh, for for people to get the help that they need. At the same time that Mike was moved by Chief Esip's compassion, he was also surprised by the statistics the chief had mentioned in the statement. It hadn't occurred to me until um, Chief Esip had uh, posted his um, uh, statement at uh, the Bourne Police Department's uh, page. I hadn't realized that there had, in fact, been four attempts. It was it was eye-opening um, that uh, you know so many had had occurred in such a short span of time. But author and grief counselor Mary Elizabeth Briscoe suspects that the numbers are even higher than that. To have four people um, at the bridge, two survived, two did not, in two months' time. That's what we hear about. There are an awful lot of, of attempts and suicides that we don't always hear about because of the stigma, because of the family uh, wishes or, or whatever. Uh, we don't always hear about them. They're not in the news. They don't always uh, appear. Um, so there's, there's a lot happening um, that we're not aware of. Mike explained that there are a few types of incidents that police redact from the logs that they send over to media outlets like the Enterprise. Whether for privacy reasons, due to stigma, or both, police typically do not release reports of domestic violence, sexual assault, or suicide, Mike told me. Without all the facts, it can be tough for any community to have productive and honest conversations about suicide. Mary Elizabeth, the grief counselor we heard from earlier, lost her girlfriend to suicide when the two were in high school. I've had several experiences of loss of from suicide, but that one, which is like 40 years ago now, was most significant, and no one did talk about it, and, and we didn't have counselors come to the school or do any of those things. 40 years after my initial loss, we are still in such a crisis. It makes me sad, it makes me angry um, that we're still in this place, that, that people are not able to get the help that they need. Next, I asked Mary Elizabeth a huge question but one I couldn't ignore. Why does suicide happen? I think for a lot of folks, it is a um, compilation of pain throughout their lives. It doesn't just happen one day that someone becomes suicidal. It is a, it's a, an experience of um, depression or, you know, uh, loneliness. Like whatever builds up for them is, is 
is often years in the making. But where does all that pain come from? It goes beyond just having enough resources in place because the whole issue of poverty, for example, I mean, it's a, it's a systemic societal problem um, that, that, that isn't just about, uh, you know, suicide. It goes back to mental health. It goes back to poverty. It goes back. I mean, it just keeps going back and back. So people who, you know, don't have food on the table, um, that impacts their mental health. With the tourist economy, you have people who are the the people working here, um, living here, providing the services to the tourists, but they don't have anywhere to live. They live in a tent. You know, that's depressing for people to know that, you know, they have nowhere to live. Um, I mean, that alone is enough to make someone turn to whatever they need to turn to. And Mary Elizabeth isn't the only health professional who has made these connections between suicide and broader issues. Here's Kim. One of the things we know about suicide is that there's not just one cause. After Jeremy's death, when I thought about suicide prevention, I would think about the Samaritan signs at the bridges. I would think about um, training programs. And I would think about um, the crisis line. What I think about suicide prevention now is much broader anti-bullying campaigns, addressing food and housing insecurity um, has been shown to decrease suicide risk, and that's certainly a bigger issue here on Cape. Addressing domestic violence, improving access for um, addiction or substance use uh, treatments and mental health treatments, providing a living wage. There was a great study that raised the minimum wage by $1 an hour and that resulted in a statistically significant decrease in suicide. When I think of suicide prevention now, I think of all of those pieces. And when I think about why the rates are elevated on the Cape, I think of all of those pieces. Higher rates of substance use, food insecurity, housing insecurity, seasonal economy. It all plays a role. Now, I want to go back for a moment to something Kim said that suicide risk is actually higher on Cape compared to the rest of Massachusetts. Here on Cape, our youth, our young people, are at twice the risk of dying from suicide as their age-matched counterparts over the bridge. And I didn't know that. Even as a physician, I didn't know that when my son died. And I think we should all know that. Our adults are at one and a half times the risk of their age-matched counterparts on the other side of the bridge. I would characterize suicide on Cape as a public health crisis, and in, indeed, youth suicide has been declared a public health crisis. Mary Elizabeth agreed. It's always a public health crisis, particularly since the pandemic, the and the numbers have statistically risen quite a bit across the country, um, but we see that here as well. Both Kim and Mary Elizabeth agree that a public health crisis rooted in community-wide issues like poverty and stigma requires a community-wide response. Suicide, is it's complex. Um, and we need a comprehensive, community-wide response. The crisis lines and the trainings, they're great and they're needed, but they're not enough. We've had those in place while the numbers have skyrocketed. Historically on Cape, um, many schools would do something like QPR or SOS. Those are suicide prevention training programs. And they'd offer it, you know, for one day or part of the day every two years. Mm -hmm. 
and what we're hearing from these high school students now is that's just not enough. They, they want to look out for each other. They want to know how to protect and, and keep each other healthy. And while that may have been an acceptable approach to suicide prevention for a school in the past, it's not enough now, and, and we're hearing that from the students themselves. In this next clip, you'll hear Mary Elizabeth talking about the 988 crisis hotline, which was rolled out in Massachusetts and elsewhere in the U.S. this past July. Anyone having an emotional crisis or thoughts of suicide can now dial 988 to be connected to what Mass.gov calls a, quote, lifeline specialist. I think right now, in terms of the, the bigger picture, I think the 988 is great, and I think it's not really great. I, I think that it is great and it's a Band-Aid. And, and there, you know, in my younger days, I didn't think Band-Aids were good enough. Um, now I see that there is value to, you know, that sort of triage mm -hmm. and moving them along. The trouble is where are you gonna move them along to when there isn't a single therapist around that you can get an appointment with. Um, there isn't a psychiatric bed that you can get. You have to, these people, people who are in crisis, are sitting in emergency departments for sometimes weeks before they can get a psychiatric evaluation and possibly a bed at a hospital. It's clear that Cape Cod has a lot of work to do when it comes to suicide prevention. Massachusetts Department of Public Health data from 2012 to 2020 shows that Barnstable County was in the top three almost every year for county-level suicide rates per capita in Massachusetts. So what does a holistic, community-wide response look like? Well, here's an example. Kim's nonprofit, Sharing Kindness, sometimes screens documentaries at schools that tackle issues related to mental health. We have documentaries on the impact of racism on mental health, impact of social media, impact of cyberbullying on mental health. And one of those documentaries is called My Ascension. My Ascension follows the story of a high schooler who survives a suicide attempt. In the documentary, members of an organization called Hope Squad are interviewed. It's an evidence-based best practice program now in, I think, at least 35 states. Hope squads at schools across the country train students in peer-to-peer -peer suicide prevention. Up until recently, there were no Hope squads on CAPE. I received an email this summer from Falmouth High School, and they said, you know, remember when you showed us my ascension and introduced us to Hope Squad, we've been in contact with them and we'd like to partner with you and start a Hope Squad at our school. To get a Hope Squad started at Falmouth High School, Sharing Kindness provided them with a grant, a grant that is available to any school on CAPE that wants to start a Hope Squad. I would love there to be a Hope Squad at every school, and we will um, offer that award, that training award, to any school um, that is starting a Hope Squad. This Holding Hope Award is in honor of the lives of Jeremy, Nicholas, Noah, and Anders, all high school students that we lost here on Cape to suicide. For any students, parents, teachers, or school staff and faculty listening, if you're interested in starting a Hope Squad at your school, details on how to get in touch with Kim are in the description of this episode. There are also other ways Cape Cod has been working on suicide prevention. Earlier this month, the Mashpee Board of Selectmen recognized September as National Suicide Prevention Month. Board member Thomas O'Hara read the proclamation. Be it resolved that the Mashpee Board of Selectmen do hereby proclaim the month of September 2022 
as National Suicide Prevention Month in the town of Mashpee. And I hope that if anybody is listening, um, that they take the time to reach out to others. And um, if you feel in trouble, reach out to the town, reach out to the selectmen. We're all there for you, especially in times of need. Kim told me that something she wishes people understood better about suicide is that people don't want to die as much as they just want their pain to end. That's why hope is a huge part of suicide prevention. Mary Elizabeth explains. It's like a ripple effect, I think. So you have a ripple effect with your copycat suicides, if you will. The same is true for positive experiences, that, that one moment of hope can trickle out to other moments of hope for not just yourself, but for other people in the community around you. This is what hope looks like for Mary Elizabeth. I asked everyone I interviewed what gives them hope as they continue to tackle these tough but very real issues in their everyday lives. Another piece that is so important is this generation of high school students and young adults who've grown up, you know, with elevated suicide rates and, and now a pandemic and all the um, pieces associated with that. They are, as a group, so open and so genuine and so respectful of each other. You know, for, for instance, asking them to, to use a different set of pronouns, it's, it's, it's nothing for them. So I'm hopeful because of the young people. I think they're capable of taking the work that we're doing now and pushing it along in a way that will result in a significant culture shift. They're starting from a much healthier place. There is help out there. Um, Samaritans that uh, people can reach out to 24-7, call 988. Um, you can call the Bourne Police Department too. They have, uh, they have people who are specialists in, in mental health issues and more than willing to, uh, to talk to people about any issue that they have. Everyone involved with that situation when I was down at the bridge um, was was very affected by it, and it, it was a very there was a lot of um, outpouring of emotion. Even though the no one knew who it was or why, just the fact that someone had made that decision was deeply affecting the community. And people do care a great deal, um, both from the both from onlookers and, and people who were just fishing in the canal who knew something was up. And when I told them what was going on, they were they were very taken aback. The community really cares, and um, there are resources. Uh, for people who are struggling, and the community wants those people to use those uh, resources. The lives of people on Cape Cod are very valuable. I highly encourage anyone listening to check out the resources in the description of this episode. There's lots of great information on how to get help, how to give help, and so much more. Our program today was voiced, written, and produced by me, Gilda Geist. Special thanks to Mary Elizabeth Briscoe, Kim Mead Walters, Mike Rausch, and Ryan Davis. The Upper Cape Catch by the Enterprise comes out every Friday, just like our newspaper. Pick up your copy at our office in Falmouth or at your favorite local business. You can also check us out online at capenews.net. We also now have an app that is free to download on the App Store and Google Play. Thanks for listening.